Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Friday, Paul Perot informs me that today is National Cheese Day, mm-hmm. so I don't know. It's not hats off to our friends in Wisconsin. It's hats on. It's right? just cheese. Yeah, that's it's true. Cheese, cheese hats. Very good. Oh, you're clever. You're clever. That's very got, good. Yeah, I got it, man. Hats on today in Wisconsin, National Cheese Day. I do like a good fondue. I do like a good fondue. Some crunchy bread dipped in some good cheese fondue. I don't know that. Uh, now... Uh, for You're those making of you me who, hungry again. I know. For those of you who know, it's also National Donut Day. You tell me there's a story behind that we should know. Yes, it has to do with the Salvation Army back in World War II. They would, uh, well, they would, uh, when when troops were back or in a place where they could get a little rest and relaxation, the uh, Salvation Army, some of the women working at that would have coffee and this cake donut that became quite popular. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the story behind it roughly yeah i like a good cake donut now mm-hmm. now now is the time i should announce that for the next couple of weeks i will not be on air because i will be at a fitness camp where there will be no cheese fondue <laughs> and no donuts i know well, there you go so um there you go everybody that's how you can be praying for me today is also national audacity to hope day now i gotta say that for the christian every day is audacity to hope day Um, But today it's an official day, so there you go. So here is my verse for the day, and I am praying it over you as you listen. I would ask that you pray it over me as well. It is Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I find myself wondering, what might happen? What might happen if we prayed this today, this sort of one-verse benediction in Romans fifteen thirteen? What might happen today if we prayed this for one another? What might happen if we prayed this for other Christians today, recognizing that you know, that's the audience here. Paul is praying this for other Christians. He's talking here about those who are believing in Christ, those who have set their hope in Christ, those who have set their affections on Christ, those who are have put their faith in Christ. So that's the in-believing part, right? So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, in this, in this setting your hope in Christ uh, kind of faith, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in in hope. What might happen if we spoke this benediction today uh, over one another as fellow believers? Uh, you know, we can be confident. It's the Word of God. It's the very Word of God. So we can be confident that it's aligned with God's desire. It's aligned with God's will. It's going to go forth to accomplish that for which He purposes it. It's the Word of God. 
So we can be confident it's going to cut through any layers of hostility. It's going to bring down any dividing walls uh, that we might fi- find between uh, between us. What might happen today if we started speaking this one sentence, this one verse uh, over one another? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And I am going to encourage us then to extend it as a prayer inviting God to lead people to believe that they too might be filled with all joy and peace as they come to believe in Jesus. So for the Christian, let's pray it as Paul prays it. And for the non-Christian, maybe we pray it this way. Oh, God of hope, fill this one with joy and peace as they come to believe in Jesus, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they too may abound in hope. There are Uh, prayers for those who hope in Christ, and there are prayers for those who do not yet hope in Christ, who are on this day of audacity to hope, uh, yet hopeless. So let's be the people of hope today. Let's be people who pray hope into the lives of one another, and let's be people who certainly pray the hope of Christ into and over the lives of others. Matt Hawkins is up next. We're going to talk about some of the headlines of the day. We'll be right back. Hawkins. You can find him on Twitter at MT Hawk. You can also find him at MatthewTHawkins.com. Hey, man, welcome back. Thank you so much. May the God of all hope fill you today with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I'm going to pray Thank it over everybody today. That was good. I that love really, that. That's really encouraging. We have a listener who says that um, if you read it in the NIV, it says, may overflow with hope and says, I love that imagery. Like, right? Wow. If hope hope doesn't just abound. It overflows. Like, that's just awesome. Yeah. Okay. Um, you and I have read uh, a story out of Australia. Tell people what's going on there in relationship to, I think, what the government well, kind of was just Aust- trying to do. Austria. Oh, Austria. Sorry. I did Austria. write Australia took, in my notes. I, well. Well, I I read. I'm so well, sorry. And, and I took it, and I I read the whole article thinking it was Australia too, <laughs> but it's Austria. <laughs> okay, that makes me feel so much better. Okay, uh, let's Which, back up. It does What's make a going more on sense, in Austria? It? it does. It does. Let's go. Let's uh, let's talk about Austria. What's going on there that we ought to know about? Okay, so Austria, the European country, not the not the uh, down south country. Um, apparently, the Austrian government has published a website with the locations and identities of all Islamic mosques in their country. Again, this is a government, presumably a secularized government, uh, publishing the whereabouts of uh, mosques and Muslim associations everywhere in the country. A map. This is not helpful. now, Carmen, I will readily admit that I am not up to speed. <laughs> I'm not current on, on uh, Austrian politics um, uh, currently. Um, but this should give any person of any religious faith real pause uh, and concern when a government would do such a thing. Uh, their rationalization 
is that they're trying to stamp out extremism, right? Or fight mm. extremism and that kind of thing, right? Um, which uh, often has a really fungible and flexible definition, uh, depending on who you talk to. Uh, and so, yeah, here's the the, uh, the official word was to, the objective was to, quote, fight political ideologies, uh, not religion, unquote. Um, which naturally, when you lump all... <laughs> all Muslims or all of any particular religious group into uh, the category of political ideology, uh, you're doing something different there that really does not affirm the freedom of conscience and freedom of religion. Um, the uh, I think, you know, for this to happen in a European country, you know, uh, given <laughs> given Europe's history on on civil rights, particularly on anti-Semitism and uh, um, <clears throat> not you know not the least of which was the Holocaust, um, this is troubling, uh, and I, I'm you know I'm, I'm cautious to you know. You know, throw too much criticism at uh, Austrians, uh, but clearly this government is uh, right now misled. Um, and I'm, I wish I was more up to speed on on the status of uh, Austrian politics. Um, but imagine the federal government, the U.S., publishing a list of a map of all churches and all Christian organizations in the United States. Um, that would be unthinkable here. Um, and we would rightly protest and we would rightly sue the, sue the government for doing that. Um, and this is what, um, Muslims are experiencing in Austria, which, mm-hmm. you know, it's not China and it's not Iran or, you know, Saudi Arabia or something, or one of these more totalitarian countries. Um, so we'll, I'll be interested in see where this leads. Um, I'm interested to get some feedback on, on this kind of situation from my Muslim friends, but, um, this is clearly disturbing. Um, regardless, because again, uh, keep in mind a government who can do this to one particular religion, it can do it to any particular religion. Right. Um, and so this is a really problematic development that we're seeing, uh, from Austria. So, um, the Austrian government is, uh, is known for, I mean, historically, I mean, so if we go Mm -hmm. back to the reformation, you know, they're historically known for picking and choosing. Um, yeah. And so they they picked Roman Catholicism over any form of Protestantism. They they currently now only recognize thirteen um, uh-huh. churches in the country. I mean, thirteen varieties of church, and four of those are Greek, which is right. just interesting. So yeah. uh, they have they they recognize a number of different um, Orthodox expressions of the church. They recognize Roman Catholicism, and then they just recognize Protestantism generally. They don't, um, they don't break that down at all, which is, which is kind of interesting. Um, and then they do recognize, uh, Hinduism and Buddhism and they, and then they recognize Islam. I bet, I mean, I'd be willing to bet somewhere they have maps of all of them. The issue is they're publishing this map for a particular reason. It's one thing to say, hey, we want to publish a map so that Muslims visiting our country have easy access to finding these places of worship. That's not their motivation. And so it does get to the question of what's the reason the government is doing something. Um, They're not doing it in this case as as an act of service to uh, Muslim visitors or Muslim immigrants that they would find ease of access to uh, existing mosques across the country. They are doing this to highlight the concern that the government uh, has about radical Islam. Now, that's a legitimate governmental concern. The question is when the government takes something that's that's of concern to the government and publishes it uh, on a website, are you not at some level inviting people whose concern is non-governmental? 
to right. maybe take take uh, action um, against those who would worship in those spaces and places. And so, yeah. yeah, I think that when we talk about we're we're having this conversation this morning. If you're listening, Matt Hawkins and I are having this conversation as a religious liberty concern. We're having this concern mm-hmm. because people of every uh, religious expression, like we have to be people who advocate for the freedom of every person to in every place at every time to express their personal um, religious convictions. And so that's why we are concerned about Muslims in Austria, if you're wondering. There you go. All right. Back here at home, we have uh, concerns as well. Those concerns also often extend as evangelical Christians to to life issues. And so we're going to talk about what is going on with something called the Hyde Amendment. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Matthew Hawkins. Again, you can find him on Twitter at MTHawk. Okay, Matt, what is the Hyde Amendment and why are we talking about it today? Sure. Big news on the Hyde Amendment. So the Hyde Amendment is a longstanding, uh, I call it a scrimmage line between pro-life folks and uh, pro-choice folks on the abortion issue. It's been around since at least 1980. It's basically a compromise. It says uh, in the context of legalized elective abortions, we're not going to force taxpayers who are pro-life to fund uh, abortions uh, and related practices and and drugs uh, with federal tax dollars. We're not going to do that. And this has been a longstanding compromise. Uh, since the 80s, and one that President Biden, while a senator for and congressman for many, 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 many years, decades even, um, I think uh, you know he's been in public office probably longer than the Hyde Amendment, he supported uh, for a long time and only changed his view uh, and, and is now opposed to the Hyde Amendment uh, when he was um, at, trying to get the Democratic nomination for president. So that's his only – that was the moment of pivot for, for him. Um, Now, why is Hyde Amendment, if it's so historic, why is it in danger? Well, it's in danger because Hyde is, uh, not to get too deep in the weeds legislatively speaking, but it's basically a rider that has to be appended to every federal budget item. And it has to be renewed basically every year. And so it's never been codified or, you know, made permanent um, by Congress. Um, I'm of the mind that Republicans from 2017 to 2018 had an opportunity to codify Hyde, uh, but that did not happen. And so what you have here is a political football uh, that basically becomes at risk every time there's a new new presidential administration um, or a new shift of Congress, actually. And so Biden has now proposed his his federal budget. Um, Now, Here's where we take a beat. Um, presidential budget proposals are often symbolic. Uh, they rarely get signed into law as presented by a president. And so Congress is now uh, doing the work of negotiating what they think they can get past the the House and the Senate. OK, so that's a different a little different ballgame. And so the the NPR story um, that we that we read uh, in preparation for this, uh, there were a number of things that jumped out to me, uh, perhaps triggered me, if if you will. Uh, number one in the headline, the it says Biden's Biden's budget proposal reverses a decades long ban on abortion funding. Well, 
it would reverse um, if if signed into law, right? Um, so the proposal has not yet reversed anything. It's just the president's proposal. Um, and so, and then the first line of the of the Empire report, Biden's budget proposal fulfills a campaign promise. It does not fulfill a campaign promise unless he actually gets it signed into law. Okay, so a lot of this, I'm sorry, the NPR uh, report kind of reads like a a press release from the White House, frankly, mm-hmm. um, based on their lingo, um, which really concerns me. They did they did quote our friend Marjorie Dannenfelser um, for the pro life group Susan B. Anthony list, um, but uh, there are so so many so much of the lingo in the, in this reporting just screams um, advocacy uh, and less about reporting. Um, so so it's not it's not the game over yet. Um, but it is, it, you know, Biden is attempting to deliver on a campaign promise to reverse Hyde. Um, now, one thing pro-lifers ought to be aware about, um, on the one hand, this is a breach of a decades-long truce, uh, like I've said, a, a scrimmage line. Um, but some of this is in response to the successes that pro-lifers are having in other in other battlegrounds, so namely states, uh, state legislation on trying to uh, do some restrictions on abortion practices, and also the fact that uh, we now have a potential uh, majority on the Supreme Court um, that may reconsider um, the the Roe v. Wade elective abortion um, legal landscape um, for the first time with a likely majority of six, um, and so. What you see here is the abortion industry, in many responses, responding to the successes of the pro-life movement, right? And so we ought not be surprised when, um, in the policy space, it's kind of like whack-a-mole, right? You you tamp down something over here, something a different strategy from the opposition is going to pop up over here. Um, so, number one, fear not. Um, Biden is delivering on a campaign, trying to deliver on a campaign promises. It's not done yet. Um, there's a lot of legislative work that has to be done to get this budget stuff uh, across the finish line, not the least of which is that it's a record spending bill, (laughs) monumental spending bill, which is not exactly my... Yeah, not exactly not my, my favorite thing either. In particular, not not exactly my bailiwick uh, in particular, um, but it's it's huge, right? So it's uh, speaking of aud- audacity, it's apparently a pretty audacious um, uh, budget bill. Uh, when so we, that's kind of my quick. Can I ask on one follow up question? Well, can yeah. I ask a follow up question? So when we're talking about the Hyde Amendment, we are talking about federal tax dollars spent in the United States of America. Um, am I right about that? Uh, because That's the right. other conversation is about the Mexico City policy, which is already something that he reversed. Um, yes. That's that other sort of scrimmage line that we talk about going back and forth. But that happens by executive order, and that already Correct. happened, right? So that is fed- U.S. Yeah. federal tax dollars used overseas to uh, advocate for and fund abortion. Is that correct? That's correct. That so that's correct. already happening. That is that's under this administration happening. already happening. Yeah. So now, I just think that I'm just trying to keep our listeners, uh, you know, because uh, Matt, you and I know this, like we cannot all pay attention to all of this simultaneously. And it yeah, moves in and out of our uh, of our radar finder um, on any given day, depending on what's going on in our own lives. So uh, so the Mexico City policy, just to clarify, is the glow is the way that U.S. money is used around the world on, um, you know, on what we yeah. would call the abortion aid. front yeah, through international aid. aid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then what we're talking about today would be the 
president's proposed federal budget. So now we're talking about money used uh, by the federal government here in the United States and how that money would be used to fund abortion. So that's um, is a little bit of a different conversation than we have when we're talking about the way U.S. money is used around the world. So I just thank you for helping us sort of sort through some of that this morning. We really yeah, appreciate no it. No problem. Happy to do it. Thank you. Blessings upon you um, for the next couple of weeks. When you join us on Friday, you'll be talking with my colleague, Peter Kapsner, who's going to be filling in. So, you know, Yay, be nice Peter. to him. Yeah, there you go. He doesn't may not know the difference between Australia and Austria. So if we get in that confusion again, you'll have to help him out. <laughs> I, I'm just, just glad kidding. we figured it out before we talked about it. Yeah, Australia. there you go. We figured out, yeah, so that our listeners weren't like, you guys need a globe and a map. Okay, that's Matt Hawkins. You can find him uh, on Twitter at MTHawk and online at MatthewTHawkins.com. We'll be right back. Okay, let's just revisit the hope uh, encouragement again here before we get into our conversation with Dan DeWitt uh, about some other headlines on this Friday. We're going to, of course, be reading through the Weekend Worldview Reader, which you can find at theolate.com. But let me say again, from Romans fifteen thirteen, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I'm, I'm going to keep doing it, man. I've got audacity to hope in Christ, and I want other people to experience the audacious love of God in Jesus Christ today. Don't you? Don't you? Let's be speaking this benediction over one another. We'll be right back. The adolescent years aren't just hard on teens. They're hard on the whole family. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. If your family isn't currently struggling, chances are you know one who is. And if you've ever been in their place before, then you know what it's like to feel worn out and beat down by teenage troubles. So if you know a hurting family down the street or at your church, invite them over for dinner or grab coffee together. Family struggles are rough, and they're even rougher when it feels like you're facing them alone. Your simple, friendly gesture, your listening ear, could be a lifeline to someone who feels like they're sinking. Take a risk. Make that call. Reach out to someone who needs you. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. It's Friday, so we are going to have a conversation with Dan DeWitt from Cedarville University. Uh, his website is theolatte.com, and we're going to talk about the Weekend Worldview Reader. Dan, welcome back. Thanks, Carmen. Good to be with you. So I like this piece that you have posted right now about transformers or translators. So what is a transformer, or who is a transformer, and who is a translator? Well, just to be clear, we're not talking about the little, you know, um, <laughs> talking vehicles that come together. And is that Transformers or is that Voltron? No, that's Paul, Transformers. You, but there's, Paul, that was actually I... okay. They're both because Transformers Auto... did that. Autobots and De Decepticons. Autobots. Yes, yes, yes. Decepticons. That's so not what that's we're talking about. Not what we're talking about. Um, so this is. I was reading in Millard Erickson's Systematic Theology, which is a really helpful book, and I. When I took systematic theology under Russell Moore years ago, 
Um, it was my first theology class. It was the first theology class he taught. And uh, we used this book as one of the textbooks. And Erickson talks about the, um, the real need to make theology um, accessible for our moment in time, for our, um, for our contemporary culture around us. And he said there's really two categories that people fall into as they're trying to do this. One of them is a transformer, and that's someone who recognizes that culture's changing, and they, they make an assumption that people are changing. And whether or not that's true, I, I would argue that there's there's a universal human experience marked by certain longings that are consistent throughout time. But Millard Erickson describes that some people actually make this assumption that people are changing, and then they make another assumption that truth is changing. And so they transform theology to accommodate their contemporary culture. Now, on the other hand, a translator is someone who recognizes that times are changing, language is changing, the way people think about things can be changing in different ways, so we have to translate our theology. And so they recognize the objectivity of truth, in particular, God's revealed truth, and their goal is to recognize we have this, this really big task to try and make the Bible accessible in the language and thought forms, as Francis Schaeffer said a long time ago, that are accessible to the people in this moment. So those are the two groups. You're either transforming God's Word or you're seeking to translate it so people can access it. When I think about um, the word transform in relationship to um, the Scriptures, I'm thinking, of course, about my mind being transformed by the Scriptures. And so Mm -hmm. there is a transformation that takes place, and I think that what is being rightly pointed out here is if I'm allowing myself to be transformed, that is patently different than me transforming Mm. what Scripture says to conform to the culture of my day, right? There's actually a reversal of Romans 12.2 going on here. That You know, that's a really good point, because this really comes down to where does authority lie? Does the authority lie in the text to change me, or does the authority lie with me to change the text? And I always think of what Paul says in uh, in his letters to the church in Corinth that um, we are not our our goal was just to speak the speak the truth plainly, not to edit to manipulate God's word, but just through a simple statement of the truth. And that's the kind of attitude we we need to bring to Scripture. But on the other hand, I would recognize we all can relate to this impulse of wanting to edit the Bible to better fit the way we want to live in the world. So we get that. It's not that we're just saying you know, everyone who feels this way is bad. We all can sense that in different areas of our lives, but we have to submit ourselves, Carmen, as you pointed out, to Scripture for it to renew our minds and to transform us. I just think that that's, uh, that's almost like the critical conversation of the day, the, the question mm-hmm. of where authority lies. And I mm-hmm. think that when we talk about the, the self, I'm reminded of Carl Truman's book um, on this topic. Like, we— mm-hmm we are a people who are obsessed with the self. And so this is a good, good, really good reminder. All right. um, I also want to talk with you about a piece that you have posted just entitled Bible Verses. So let me just say that when I see Bible Verses uh, at Theolatte.com, I, of course, imagine that I'm going to get a list of Bible Verses. Well, that's not actually what I get. So what do I get when I click? You get country music, and since you live in the Nashville area, right, this is, mm-hmm. this is you know, right, you know, um, 
in in your sweet spot, Carmen. I, I did this for you, actually. Do you like country oh, that's music, so nice. first of all? Um, <laughs> sometimes. Paul Paul actually knows that I am not a music person. Like She I, is not. Mm-mm. I just oh, am not. I know. Well, but go ahead. So, Tell us why we're talking today about Bible verses and Blake yes. Shelton. Yeah, so yeah, I write in the piece that I have in my presets. I have um, K-Love. I have... NPR, I've got an oldie station, and I have a couple country music stations. And it's funny sometimes when either me or my kids assume that the program is Christian uh, on K-Love, on a Christian station, when it indeed isn't. And this is one of those songs that it's the kind of song that my kids will say, Dad, is this a Christian song? And um, it's a reminder that sometimes what we think of in terms of sacred and secular, that the line between the two is really not that blurred that, you know, you have people in sacred spaces talking about what would be assumed to be secular and people in secular places talking about things that are clearly sacred, um, that we can't avoid it no matter where, whether you're on NPR or Caleb. But this is one of those songs. It's a country song. Blake Shelton talks about Bible verses, and he talks about having a King James Bible and that he um, appreciates it and that he is wanting to you know, ultimately, um, he wants to pray, he wants to please God, but he recognizes that he falls short of that so many times. And so one of his lines, he says, um, got a King James in the dresser, I take it out sometimes, but Lord knows I ain't measured up to what's inside. So I write in the mm-hmm. piece that we can all relate to that. I think that this song is a kind of a helpful lament of what Paul talks about in Romans 7, that we sense these two desires, a desire to please God and then also a desire to live for ourselves. So that's what the, the song's about. It doesn't have a lot of gospel hope in it, um, but I do think there's a helpful, there is a helpful place for us to merely lament the fact that we aren't there yet, and Blake Shelton certainly does that in the song. All right, let's take a very brief break, and when we come back, I'm going to ask Dan DeWitt to comment on a few um, headlines related to Pride Month. We're going to have a conversation about Pride and Pride Month. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, continuing our conversation with Dan DeWitt from Cedarville University. Uh, you can visit theolatte.com for this week's Weekend Worldview Reader. Um, Dan, it is uh, official again, apparently. Uh, the President of the United States has declared this to be Pride Month, LGBTQ Gay Pride Month. Um, so there are a number of headlines related to this. Uh, Blues Clues now has a uh, LGBTQ-themed sing-along video Lego has an LGBTQ pride set. Um, The USA Today has featured a list of, quote unquote, the best pride books for kids. What's going on? Mm -hmm. Well, it's, of course, in our in our culture, this comes back to the self and authority. And it's a real recognition that in our culture that we don't want any kind of binding authority over us. And so ultimately, the self gets to define um, what is right, what is good. And so um, right now, it's a recognition of the um, the equality that should be um, made clear 
and should be afforded to people regardless of their sexual identification, the person that they might um, have relations with. And it's not only a recognition of that equality, it's also a call to celebrate that. And so the interesting thing about this, and I remember back in the day when preachers made a really big deal about a particular sitcom that included one gay character. And I remember what they were saying back then, that this is just the tip of the iceberg. And in many ways, they're right. I mean, what we're seeing on Blue's Clues is a complete celebration of every type of sexual interest, every type of family configuration, whether it's um, a trans family, whether it's multiple um, adults living together, cohabitating. And this is just a way of saying that everyone gets to decide for themselves. Now, Albert Mueller asked a great question on the briefing. um, Is there a line in the sand? When we say that we want to not only recognize someone's intrinsic worth and what they want to do, but we want to celebrate it regardless of who they love, where is the line in the sand? And as Christians, we think the Bible makes that pretty clear because the authority is not within the self. It's from God. But the real question for our culture is, at what point do we stop celebrating someone's sexual choice? Um, At what point does this become something that's not only should not be celebrated, but should be opposed? So I'm thinking here about that verse in um, chapter one of Romans. Um, Let me see if I can find it super quick. Verse 32. So though they know God's righteous decree and that those who practice such things, I mean, the language here is deserve to die, but they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. So I Mm. think that when I think about um, the government and lots of social institutions and lots of companies raising a pride flag, um, having pride events, developing pride uh, products, and not just amplifying the message of the sexual revolution, but almost demanding that everyone celebrate it. I, it feels very Romans one thirty two to me, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and it feels as if we're not. We know what God has said. We know God's good design. Um, and we're not only ask, being asked to sort of allow for this to happen in the culture, we are being asked to approve of it. And that mm. makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's the, the challenge for Christians is how do we have a winsome witness um, and make clear, we believe God has spoken on these issues. I Years ago, I um, preached through Romans at a ministry I led on a secular campus at the University of Louisville and had no plans that I would, that my sermon series on Romans, Romans 1, would coincide with the kickoff to Gay Pride Month. And I didn't realize that was the case. Um, We met in a building called the Red Barn at the University of Louisville, and we shared it with one other student organization, the LGBTQ plus organization on campus. So here I am there in the the, the Red Barn um, preaching on Romans 1 on the kickoff of Gay Pride Week. When, I, when we came outside after our worship was over, students had been writing with chalk, and they had written really big right outside of our meeting place, um, love, don't judge. And I kind of w- wish the students were still there who had written that because I want to tell them I agree with you. You know, it depends how you interpret that statement. But mm-hmm. Romans 1 shows us we're actually all on the bad list. I mean, you not only have people who deviate from God's design um, for sex, and, you know, it doesn't just have to be someone who becomes a lesbian or a homosexual. It, there's all kinds of ways. You know, Jesus's call 
um, to follow him makes massive demands on all of us. And what we see in Romans 1 is that people who gossip, people who slander, even people who are disobedient to their parents are on that list. We all need the gospel. Now, we can't you know, end up in the wrong side of the road on the other side of the road and say, well, because we need grace, we can live however we want. But the picture of Romans 1 is God has a design. We've all fallen from that design, but through the gospel, there's hope for every one of us. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. All right. One of the other articles that you have um, listed in this week's Weekend Worldview Reader uh, is posted at Re- Religion News, and it is about Jane Goodall, the winder, winner of the 2021 Templeton Prize religion entered into me. What's going on here? Well, so she's, um, was given the Templeton prize for her, um, her work, her scientific discovery, and then also her, her real sense of openness to there being something beyond nature. There being a supernatural realm, as she describes an intelligence behind the universe. And she has a fascinating story. I shared with my wife this morning, um, you know, I, I said, reflecting on this article, I said, you know, she's the kind of person I could almost hear her voice in reading the interview. You know, it would be so lovely to just sit and have a cup of tea and hear about all the things she's done and her, you know, her study of um, gorillas and and just to listen to her tell her story. But what you could tell is that there's not much clarity in terms of her belief about God. And so mm-hmm. although it's powerful, her story, um, it's powerful the fact that she believes there's something beyond nature, it's also a bit sad because there's not much to fill in the gaps. There's not many answers to the big questions. Yeah, it's still, um, there is still this vacuum of information in terms of like, you know, this, she has this mystical sense that there is something beyond this, um, that there must be something out there, but no sense that the universe is genuinely personal and that that personal God has uh, made himself known, or that when she dies, um, the personal universe is still going to exist, and she's going to have a personal eternity. Like, there's no sense of that in here. And I think that that, that's why I wanted to lift this up. Um, When we read articles like this, or when we hear stories like this, we need to go beyond, hey, this person, um, you know, has some, some sense that uh, that there's something out there, that the truth is out there. Um, we need to be people who actually explain, hey, religion entering into you is not enough. Like mm-hmm. actually knowing God in Jesus Christ is um, is what is sufficient unto salvation. That, that's right. And you know, some of these things, they always come back to the fundamental category in the Christian worldview of revelation. If God has revealed himself to us, then we can know something about him. And mm-hmm. so when she's asked, the final question in the interview is, um, do you have some practices that ground you and open you up to the spiritual realm? She says, you know, I'm so lucky that I have these beautiful trees to sit mm-hmm. under. And you could just imagine her sitting out there and how peaceful it would be. And again, I would love to hear her talk about her experience, but I also love to say, you know, that there's you could know God beyond just looking at his creation um, creation does speak to him, um, but Scripture tells us how you can not only know of him, how you can know him. Mm-hmm. All right, Dan, let's leave it right there. Thank you so very much, as always, for the Weekend Worldview Reader and everything else that you are posting at Theolatte.com and for joining us here today. Thanks, Carmen. Have a great Friday. Thank you. You too. We'll be right back. 
This is where we'll just take a couple of minutes to scroll through some headlines today. The Olympics are only 50 days away. Um, That just seems notable just in terms of something to sort of have on our radar this summer. People who have been preparing themselves to participate in the Summer Olympics, let's just remember they missed an opportunity already. Um, Simone Biles, let's just uh, be praying for her. She's a sister in Christ. Obviously, there are other Christians who are preparing to represent their home countries. Um, Simone's story is a precious one just in terms of being a child who was adopted into a Christian family and just how much of a, a testimony and witness her adoptive parents are in that conversation. So gives us an opportunity to talk about the spirit of adoption and the reality that each and every one of us are adopted into God's family through Jesus Christ. And so we ought to have a really robust theology of adoption, not just for ourselves, but um, but for others in the world who need families uh, too. So just wanted to lift that up as something of note today. Um, there are obviously lots of continuing conversations going on about COVID and vaccines uh, and masks and on and on and on. Let's be gracious and gentle with one another. Um People are making their own choices about things, and people ought to be allowed to make their own choices, and none of us should be forced to make a choice in relationship to um, to these things. And so I just know that that is getting increasingly difficult in some sectors of our communities, and so I'm aware of it, and I just want to just lift up that personal concern for one another in these days. Um there's a really high-profile lawyer whose name's F. Lee Bailey. His name might sound familiar to you. Controversial attorney known for defending really famous clients. Um, and he has died. And anytime there's someone sort of very high-profile who dies, it's just a good reminder, I think, that death is a reality that comes for all of us, each of us and all of us. We had a great conversation yesterday with Lydia Dugdell. She is a professor. She's a doctor. Um, And she not only speaks about but has written on the subject of death and and dying well. And what does it look like for us to uh, recover the art of dying in this generation? If you missed that conversation, let me invite you to go back and listen to the podcast from yesterday. You can find it at MyFaithRadio.com. You can find it on the Faith Radio app. For those of you who um, are looking for that book, The Lost Art of Dying is the book you're looking for. And let me just encourage you, like, read what else she's writing out there. She has stuff posted right now at the Gospel Coalition and elsewhere. She's just a really, I think, worthy voice to be listening to in the conversations of the day. we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen. Up next, we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.